Hello, hello, and welcome back to DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and you are listening to episode seven of season three of this podcast. You know, it's funny. I got a text from a friend the other day being like, man, usually you have a pretty good variety of music on this podcast, but it feels like lately you've been doubling down on Christian music. And I kind of thought to myself, like, that can't possibly be true, right? Like, so I looked at my episodes that I've done so far this season, and honestly, it's technically not true. Because you've got the Trenches episode, which is, you know, sort of a Christian band, I guess. Then you've got Mortification, who is, you know, for sure. End of Destiny, which was my band, also for sure was. But uh, He Is Legend. He Is Legend was not a Christian band. They were a band that was on a Christian label. And then there was Circle of Dust and then Strong Arm. So, yeah, I guess I can kind of see it now. But I can say that it's not totally intentional. But when I started this podcast, I made a promise to myself that the albums that I picked to talk about every week to be what I considered to be the best in my formative years. And I happened to grow up in a very Christian culture in my teenage and early adult years. So naturally, I listened to a lot of Christian music, and I and I still do. And whether I consider myself religious these days or not, the fact remains that I grew up with this music and it absolutely helped shape the way that I viewed the world for probably the most important years of my life. So yeah, I'm gonna talk a lot of Christian bands for as long as this podcast lasts. And it won't be every episode, but it probably will be a lot of them. And in that spirit, I decided that I was going to break my several year-long silence on the band Demon Hunter and discuss the band's third album, appropriately titled The Triptych. Or is it The Triptych? I don't know. I'm going to probably use them interchangeably throughout this episode. So, you know, confirmed non-fan, right? But before we do that, there's some info that... I have that I think that you also need to have. And that is, if you guys like listening to this podcast, make sure that you're subscribed to it on your favorite podcasting platform. And the podcast should be on pretty much every single one of them at this point. But if you have a favorite platform that you use that you can't find this podcast on, please let me know and I'll do whatever I can to fix that. And if you listen to the podcast every single week and you're a huge fan of the show, please make sure to leave a review of the podcast either on Apple Podcasts or on the Facebook page. Or, you know, you can just send me an email at dftdungeon at gmail.com and just let me know what you think about the show. Uh, You can always click on some of the links on the show notes of this episode if you want to follow me and the show on all of the social media platforms. The show also has a Discord server, which is the main place that I like to hang out online. And there's a link in the show notes of this episode that'll take you to discord and considering the amount of car problems i've been having this year alone i decided it was time to launch a dft's dungeon t-shirt shop link in the show notes to that as well i also have a patreon if you want to directly support the podcast financially and i appreciate each and every one of you guys who listen every week and with that out of the way let's talk some demon hunter I know there's a handful of you guys who are absolutely shocked and horrified that I would choose to discuss Demon Hunter again after all of these years. (laughs) 
But I gotta come clean and admit that I just don't hate Demon Hunter. It's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. And I don't think I ever really have. I think on discography discussion, I was super harsh because on that podcast, I was listening to a variety of different bands every single week. And when I would compare a more accessible band like Demon Hunter to a less accessible band like, say, Torture Killer or Suffocation or something like that, it was really easy for me to poke fun at a more accessible band. And I'd say the most accurate way to describe how I feel about Demon Hunter is that it's a love-hate relationship. And it depends on what kind of music that I'm in the mood to listen to. And depending on what kind of music I'm in the mood for, that can seriously alter how I feel about a band. And it's a problem that I've had for years where I like to compare bands and records to other bands and records instead of just trying to relax and enjoy something for what it is versus what I want it to be. It's another me problem in the end. So I first heard Demon Hunter about the same time everybody else heard them, which was back around 2002, I want to say. And it was when they released their self-titled album, which came seemingly out of nowhere. I remember Buddy and I were still in high school and we had just recently started getting into hardcore and metalcore after coming off like a two-year new metal streak. And I remember after downloading a promo MP3 from Solid State's website, which probably took like 30 minutes back in 2002. And one of the first things I said while listening to the song Infected was, man, where was this like two years ago? See, here's something about me back in those days. The reason I was so into new metal back then was that I was absolutely obsessed with the whole sing scream dynamic even 20 years later it's still kind of a winning formula for a lot of bands and it's not that christian rock had a shortage of bands who delivered a brutal payload it's just that back in 2002 metalcore wasn't quite what it's like now most bands in christian music and i i can't really speak for music at large because keep in mind i had kind of a limited scope because I was a teenager at the time, and while the internet did exist back then, a lot of band recommendations were just, like, hearsay. And with the added handicap that I would have not checked out very many bands that didn't have the Christian music tag on them. But back then, most of the Christian heavy bands that I listened to were metalcore bands, like Zayo, Living Sacrifice, Norma Jean, No Innocent Victim, Nodes of Ron Vier, Training for Utopia, and strong arm. And those bands, while amazing, they didn't really utilize clean singing very much. And if they did, it was only for like one song. For these bands, it was more about heavy, crushing riffs, screaming, and growling vocals. And on the other side of the coin, you had the more hard rock Christian bands like POD. Project 86, Thousand Foot Crutch, and Skillet. And those were also really good bands in their own right, but they were always just on the cusp of breaking through into like heavier music. They just never seemed to quite reach the level of heaviness that me and my friends were looking for. At that time, you started to hear more about bands like Thursday and Dead Poetic and Beloved, who utilize clean singing and screaming in their songs. And while those bands clearly had hardcore influences, the problem was is that I was kind of an asshole even back then. 
and I felt like the clean vocals with those bands sounded a little too quote-unquote pop punk for me at the time. And honestly, it's one of my worst takes from back then. And I definitely grew to love those bands more and more as time went on. But then there was like one other option back then too. You could just choose to listen to classic Christian metal bands like Tourniquet, Mortification, Striper, or even like Disciple. And again, those are all really good bands, but those bands were just a little bit too old for me at the time. It wasn't cool in a way that only a teenager would understand. Like, I don't really know how to describe it. It's just that when you're a teenager, you just kind of know what's cool and what isn't. And when you're a teenager, time also goes by way slower than when you're an adult because I felt like those were my only options for Christian music for like forever. But in reality, it was really only like a year and a half, I think, that I was really having this crisis. And at the time, it felt like Demon Hunter was the exact puzzle piece that Buddy and I had been missing throughout that time. But it also felt a little bit too late because at that stage, we had kind of just given up on new metal and the whole sing and scream thing, and we threw in completely with metalcore. So we didn't really care that much about looking back. And Demon Hunter, to their credit, they weren't like POD or Project 86. They were like this missing evolutionary step between new metal and metalcore. The harsh vocals were extreme like metalcore and the riffs were heavy and fast. And you got this rush from the speed and aggression of that first album. And then the vocalist would just bust into this super clean melodic chorus that actually kept up with the pace of the song. And it was just incredible to me at that time. But it was a little too late, unfortunately. If I had heard Infected or Through the Black back in like 1999 or 2000, Demon Hunter would have hands down been my favorite band of all time. And this podcast would be called something like The Demon Hunter Hideout. How's it going this week, fellow hunters? So to prevent this episode from turning into an analysis of Demon Hunter's self-titled album, I need to move on a little bit. So I'll wrap this segment up. I did love that first Demon Hunter album, and I would recommend it to my friends who just felt like stuff like Zayo was a little bit too much. But to be perfectly honest, I dedicated most of my time that year to checking out newer metalcore and hardcore bands. But Demon Hunter's first impression on me was a good one. They had a cool image, and there was just a bunch of mystery that was surrounding the band because they didn't reveal their true identities until a few albums later. So as things typically go, time went by, and eventually I caught wind that Demon Hunter was going to be going for it again, and we're about to release a new album called Summer of Darkness. But this time, what caught my attention was that they were including a bunch of guest vocalists from bands that I really liked. They had Mike Williams from the Agony Scene guesting on Beheaded, Howard Jones from Killswitch Engage on Our Faces Fall Apart, Brock Lindau of 36 Crazy Fists on Beauty Through the Eyes of a Predator, and Trevor from Thousand Foot Crutch on Coffin Builder. And I was super stoked on Summer of Darkness. It felt heavier. It was a bigger step towards my personal right direction for the band, if that makes sense. And I love Summer of Darkness. Honestly, I have really no complaints about that record. And I'm not 
totally sure if they ever topped that one. But it was still in that weird gray area between metalcore and new metal. And eventually, just like the self-title album did, it faded away from my consciousness. But not for very long, because just one year later, Demon Hunter was back at it again with a third album called The Triptych. Triptych came out, I wasn't in high school anymore. This was the summer right before my first semester of college, and it was a college that I would eventually drop out of right after that semester was over. Which wasn't really Demon Hunter's fault, but for those of you that have been trying to keep an accurate timeline of all of the events that I've discussed in the last two seasons of this podcast, 2005 is a really great place to stick a pin in, and I will come back to it in the future. But what's notable about 2005 for this episode's purposes is that much the same way that I had eventually left new metal behind for metalcore, I had also started floating away from metalcore and getting into what I called more sophisticated metal at the time. So that means basically that I was really into bands like Opeth, In Flames, At The Gates, November's Doom, Atheist, and Between the Buried and Me. Because by that time, metalcore had become really formulaic. It was like, let's borrow a bunch of at-the-gates riffs, add some breakdowns to it, and then, you know, throw some clean choruses in. And I was just kind of over it after a few years. So before the record came out, I was intrigued because by that time, the band's true identities had more or less been revealed. And even though they were a whole cast of characters from the Christian heavy music scene on those first two albums... The Triptych was the first Demon Hunter album that had a solidified lineup. And at the time, the heart of the band were the Clark brothers, Ryan and Don Clark, who, if you you know knew what was up with Christian heavy music at the time, were responsible for the band Training for Utopia, who, when this episode comes out, you may have actually seen play live during Furnace Fest, which unfortunately I didn't, I didn't get to go to again. And I remember reading an interview with Ryan Clark at the time talking about how on their third album that Demon Hunter was looking to expand their sound to include some more traditional metal influences. And I don't remember what bands he mentioned in that interview, but it was enough to at least get me excited to check the album out. Even if the first two albums weren't necessarily my thing at the time, my thing had changed, so my mind was a little bit more open to receive whatever Demon Hunter had in store. So if you've made it this far into the podcast, I'm actually going to talk about the album itself now. And this won't be a track by track. And if I don't talk about a song you love, I'm really sorry about that. But take comfort in the fact that I spent the first five minutes pimping my Patreon and t-shirts instead. A crummy commercial? Son of a bitch. The first song, The Flame That Guides Us Home, took me by surprise the first time I heard it because it took my metal-expecting ears a minute to adjust to what I was hearing. It's only a 30-second intro track featuring these angelic voices singing about, well, you know, the flame and that it's the one that guides us home. And this actually kicks into the first proper song, which is called Not I. 
And right off the bat, it sets the mood for the next 50 minutes or so. And the first thing I noticed that separated this album from just being stock Demon Hunter was the pacing of the riffs and even the inclusion of actual blasting drums. And it definitely was not what I was expecting, but was super intriguing. Something that really stood out to me on this song in particular was how the chorus was like way more intricate than what we'd really heard from Demon Hunter in the past. I like the way the clean vocals interplay with the screams of not I, and like the song keeps this like almost thrash metal pace. And even though the chorus slows it down a little bit, the song doesn't really lose its intensity at any point. And the breakdown at the end almost lost me on the first listen, but has grown on me over the years as Ryan screams, Reach back behind your pride. Pull the thorn from the burning pain in your side. And then they just drop those angelic voices from the intro track in there. And it's just really well done. And it made a very strong impression on me to keep listening. And speaking of those words, he screams during the breakdown if you were to crack open the liner notes of the cd or the vinyl or look it up on spotify or however people listen to music these days uh you might notice a stark difference to the first two demon hunter albums this album is the first time the band is blatantly a christian band not only blatantly but like almost confrontationally so which should be expected considering the band is literally called demon hunter the lyrics on Not I are directly confrontational, and they describe people who are miserable due to the problems that they themselves have caused and how they wallow in those problems instead of trying to overcome them. And it's a song about setting yourself apart from the pack and holding true to your values and not succumbing to the thoughts and behavior patterns of the rest of the world because... The rest of the world is miserable. The message is that fitting in isn't worth it if the end result is misery. And that being said, reading those lyrics as a grown man in 2023, I definitely don't agree with all of it because I've had a lot of life experience since then and have come to realize that there are certain forces like depression and mental illness that people can be victim to through no fault of their own. Sometimes bad things just happen and not everything that you are suffering through is a result of something that you did to make it that way. And I honestly don't think that Demon Hunter is saying that all of humanity's suffering is self-inflicted, as it would be impossible for a single song to address all possible scenarios and outcomes. And in 2005, even I wrote a song called An Illness to Call Your Own, which might now seem pretty tone-deaf in the face of, like, real mental illnesses and struggles. However, I have also experienced a lot of self-inflicted suffering, and I have found myself wallowing in it for far longer than I really should have. And I think those specifically are the people that this song is aimed at. Undying continues the album in the same vein, keeping the song fast and punchy at the start, but then it slows the pace down a hair, like right when the first verse kicks in. 
but it like slows down in this really satisfying way. It just sort of like clicks in my brain is like, yeah, okay, let's go Demon Hunter. The verses do admittedly get a little bit stuck in kind of a rigid pattern, which would be a little bit annoying if the chorus didn't kick in in such a grandiose fashion. And this is an all-time Demon Hunter chorus, and I still hum it to myself on occasion. And I love the opening lyrics to the song where Ryan screams, Ever since the day that I was made, I've been deciding the end. And I was made of wood and stone and won't diminish or bend. So when the heavy hand of death is here to take me away, I'll be the solid grip of time forever holding my stay. Nobody ever made a force that took a beating like me. I call the earth and every scum to come and try and fight me. It's like really, really, really metal and really meat-headed, but also has those strong spiritual overtones, which I think is basically the essence of Demon Hunter. And it's the reason I used to listen to Demon Hunter a lot when I played games like Diablo 2 and Doom. It's like the perfect soundtrack where you're playing a warrior of light who's fighting demon forces. And it just makes sense to throw on some Demon Hunter, honestly. And it's a song about him being proud of being a Christian and finding strength in his faith and his mission. And it's so blatantly Christian that it's always surprised me that Demon Hunter gained the level of mainstream success that they had. I mean, it's those clean choruses, dude. Like... The dude can, can write and, and he can pull off a chorus on a level that was pretty much unmatched in Christian metal at the time. The next song, Relentless Intolerance, keeps up the same theme musically and lyrically and talks a lot about standing your ground in the face of opposition. But this is where the album sequencing is really its biggest strength. Because on the song Deteriorate, the album departs from its all-out assault on the sinful world we live in, and it shifts its focal point to a more human side of Ryan. Up to this point in the album, he comes off as like the Doom Slayer, like out to rid the world of all the filth that lives in it. Against all the evil that hell can conjure, all the wickedness that mankind can produce, we will send unto them only you. Rip and tear until it is done. And while that's super cool, that's super metal, I don't think that you can sustain an entire album on just that by itself. So this song is slower and more heartfelt. And it's this album's first Demon Hunter power ballad, which is not a new concept. I knew that we'd get here eventually, but usually on older albums, I would kind of just like skip through these songs so that I could get to like the fast and heavy ones. But this one always stood out to me because on this song, he turns those struggles he described on Not I inward on himself and he explores his own behaviors and tendencies to let outside factors influence his mindset. And I think it portrays not I and undying in a more relatable and personal light. My favorite lyrics on this song are, I need a heart that carries on through the pain when the walls start collapsing again. Give me a soul that never ceases to follow despite the infection within. Because honestly, I still feel that way when things get hard. And things get hard a lot. 
And so, I mean, it can be really easy to just sit there and stew in it for years in some cases. Go back and listen to the Trenches episode from this season to hear more about that. And even without the religious overtone to this song, those words are great for keeping perspective when things are super difficult. And I'm going to skip over the soldier song, sorry, to get to the song Fire to My Soul. And this song continues the band's holy crusade against evil by calling out what Ryan thinks are the inner workings inside the minds of non-Christians. And he even makes the bold statement that everyone actually hears the voice of God inside and that anybody that doesn't eventually become a Christian has willingly made the decision to ignore God's voice. And I, I'm not going to like sit here and, and pick it apart and argue with it. It's just, it's not my favorite Demon Hunter song lyrically, but I still jam this song all the time because the chorus of this is one of his best and it will stick in your head for days. And no matter what you believe, you cannot deny the hook on this song. I heard you call. So, you know what? Maybe, maybe he was like trying to, maybe that's the point he was trying to prove by making such a good chorus that I would absolutely have to be in denial if I said I didn't like it. Well done, Demon Hunter. 1000 Apologies is the second Demon Hunter power ballad on this album, and it's another one of their very best. And I've always joked with my friends that Demon Hunter would have been an even bigger band if they had only written songs like this for Top 40 Radio. Well, the first three minutes anyway. After that, they kind of remembered that they're a metal band, and so the harsh vocals kick back in. And it might sound like I'm making fun of them, but like truly, the lyrics to this song are a very human and very heartbreaking apology letter. And we've all had situations in our lives where we've let somebody down or not been there for somebody when they needed us the most. And I like this side of Demon Hunter. And I think it's essential to help paint a picture of the man that's behind this endless crusade against evil. I don't think the righteousness of Demon Hunter really works if the man behind it ceases to be a man who can admit to his own mistakes. So I think it's really well done. It's refreshing to see the contrast isn't just a musical one with like the singing and the screaming, heavy songs and soft songs, but like lyrically, you have faith crusades contrasted by honest introspection. The Science of Lies continues on in a very similar fashion to Fire to My Soul. And it's outright accusatory, like this time towards the idea of people worshiping money and people creating pop religions for profit or leading people into cults of deception. 
and in a refreshing turn of events where you're going to expect me to push back on this, I actually really like this song musically and lyrically. This is one of the few songs where I very much agree with Ryan on this topic. Because every single day, we're being sold something. Either it's a product or an idea or the promise of like instant fame or riches, just like whatever, right? It's being promised to you if you just give a little piece of yourself away. And from birth, we're constantly assaulted with promises like this. And sometimes it feels like the only escape from it is living completely off the grid. The only thing I disagree with on this song is that he says... The philosophy of modern man is sinking fast, but I don't think it's just a problem with modern man. I think that people have been doing this kind of thing since the beginning of civilization as we know it. I mean, Ryan himself even said in a Training for Utopia song once, you aren't different, your way of thinking has been around for centuries. But I'll talk about that album and that song in a different episode. Up next was a completely random and awesome surprise. Back when Buddy and I first met in 2000, he told me outright that he only listened to Christian music, with the exception of only a few songs from quote-unquote secular artists. And one of those songs that he was nuts about was a song by a band called Prong called Snap Your Fingers, Snap Your Neck. And we used to drive around in his car like all the time because we didn't really have anything better to do. And he would occasionally play it off of his prong CD. I think the CD was called the, called Cleansing or The Cleansing. But anyway, imagine how through the roof we were when we discovered that Demon Hunter had recorded a cover of that song. And it's a surprisingly faithful cover, with the only real difference being that Ryan's vocals are obviously like all screamed and the original prong song isn't like that. But it has this weird effect where it's like, when I listen to the Demon Hunter version, it, it's like, that's how I remember the original Prong song sounding. It's just updated, right? It's beefed up a little bit. It's really, in a lot of ways, replaced to the original for me. And another funny story about this song is back when Buddy and I ran our Christian metal radio show, we used to have people call in and request songs. And almost every time we went on the air, this guy would call us and tell us that he was calling from his hospital bed and he was a huge metal fan. He told us that he had gotten in a bad motorcycle accident and had essentially broken his neck. But he would call and request this exact song because he thought it was hilarious. And I'm not sure if we totally believed him, but it's definitely more fun to think that he was telling the truth. And I know at this point, this podcast script's getting a little bit long on the tooth, so I'm going to go ahead and skip over the song Rib Cage. But I will say this, it is another fast-paced Demon Hunter song with a very catchy chorus. And I just love hearing Ryan scream, Break through the rib cage! 
Like it's it's unintentionally funny, but also awesome. People might call it cheesy, but I mean, I in in no other context in my life is more cheese ever like a bad thing. And it's another Holy Crusade style song talking about fighting against the evils of sin and how people try to justify their depraved cravings by lying to everybody to cover them up. But what I really want to talk about is the album closer, which is the song The Tide Began to Rise. And it starts off with a really pretty piano piece with acoustic guitars and orchestration. And it's just a really beautiful way to end this album. I'm not going to lie. I've got a soft spot for these more introspective, melodic songs on this album, mostly because of the lyrics. Ryan reflects back on his own experiences with trying to ignore his own internal darkness while trying to keep walking the path of righteousness. Just like it was on Deteriorate, the context of him discussing his own failure is essential to balancing out the more accusatory songs on the album. It brings everything full circle in a really satisfying way and gives closure to the whole thing. Never saw the backlash when the tide began to rise I can't remember the way it was when everything fell right My mouth held shut and I sealed tight with control So I remember on the inside So all in all, there's a few more things that I think are notable about the triptych. Firstly, when Demon Hunter first arrived on the scene, they were intentionally vague about what they were about. About, about, about. Like, sure, the band is called Demon Hunter, and the logo is a demon skull with a bullet hole in it. So you can pretty much guess where they fall on the faith spectrum. However, back then, the lyrics weren't outwardly faith-based and even the band members themselves chose to keep their identities hidden from the public. Then, Summer of Darkness came out with its liner notes filled with pictures of hearses and guys digging graves, presumably for the demons that they have hunted and killed, right? But Summer of Darkness featured mostly emotional and introspective songs and only got to the more angry confrontations with evil in a few songs. But much like my friend's statement about me discussing mostly Christian music this season, the triptych represents Demon Hunter fully leaning into the implications of their band's name and image. They're all in on this album, featuring songs mostly about overcoming evil and opposition, while also providing emotional context for the human struggles that go along with that. And it's very well balanced, and it leans heavily on its themes and artwork to convey the spiritual battle that the band members are fighting. More than that, with this more focused plan of attack, this album really locks down and defines what the Demon Hunter sound is going to be going forward. And there are elements of this album that still persist in the band's sound 18 years later. While the band continued to refine and push their sound in different directions over the years, traces of this album lurk in the bone marrow of every new Demon Hunter song. And as for me, I haven't always been on board with every decision that the band has made since 2005 because apparently bands don't really make decisions based on what Dan Terry thinks, but, you know, they totally should. Uh, so with that in mind, I have to say that I am continually impressed by Demon Hunter's ability to express real emotions alongside its spiritual battle backdrop. The band figured out a perfect balance early in their career and it has served them very well ever since. So
Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. Like I said in the intro, my name is Daniel Terry. And I apologize, guys, that it took me an extra week to get this episode out. I had a bunch of dumb stuff come up that drew my attention away, and so I sincerely hope that this episode was worth waiting an extra week for. However, I will for sure be back next week with episode number 50, which kind of blows my mind. I still sometimes feel like I've only been doing the Dungeon Show for a few weeks. And it's really been over a year at this point. So thanks again for supporting what I do. I'll see you next week. So-